Welcome to the Wisdom of the Womb podcast, your home for mind, body, and soul wellness for women. My name is Stephanie Adler. I'm a certified nutrition consultant, birth doula, and women's hormone and fertility expert. I've supported hundreds of women in having healthy cycles, healthy babies, and building a balanced foundation in their bodies and minds to set them up for a limitless life. Now it's your turn. I believe a woman reaches her full potential when she trusts the innate wisdom of her body and that those women change the world. So if you're wanting to achieve hormone harmony, have boundless energy, optimize your fertility, live a holistically healthy life, and learn how to love and trust your body to become the well woman you know you are meant to be, you're in the right place. Join me for weekly wisdom on topics such as holistic hormone and gut health, fertility, mindfulness, birth, pregnancy, and beyond, and leave with actionable steps towards well womanhood. Thanks for pressing play today. I'm so excited for the magic we're going to create together. Let's dive in. Hello, podcast family. Welcome to episode 21 of the Wisdom of the Womb podcast. I'm so excited about this podcast. I'm going to be talking about how I'm preparing for birth what I'm specifically doing, what I have been doing, what weeks I started doing it, really just breaking down all of the details, how I'm preparing mentally, emotionally, spiritually for birth. Um, And also we'll be talking a little bit about what's unique to my home birth prep. Um, And yeah, I just want to quickly remind everyone that this is not medical advice. Uh, Even though I do have a background as a birth worker, as a birth doula, either way, as a birth doula, it's still not medical advice. And even if I was a licensed birth professional, which I am not, it would not be medical advice for you. So anything that you are doing for your pregnancy and for your birth, I definitely recommend running by your trusted care practitioner, whether it's your midwife or a doctor that you're working with or anyone that you really trust. So thanks for being here. Um, and if you enjoyed this podcast, I have a big favor to ask of you before we jump into today's episode, would you be so generous to please go over to Apple podcasts and leave us a review? This podcast is a true labor of love. I love doing it. I love sharing this long form content and the best gift that you can give back to the podcast. If you get something out of this content is to go and leave us a review, um, on Apple podcasts and to give us hopefully a five-star rating. So if you want to just take a second and pause and head over there to do that, that would mean the absolute world to me. And, um, whenever you're ready to come back, I'll be here talking about how I'm preparing for birth. Also just a quick note, um, as I am currently recording this today, I am at 35 weeks and, uh, my current, my usual podcast recording setup is less comfortable for me at this time. So we're trying this in a new place today. And so I apologize in advance if my audio and my acoustics in here are not quite as good as they typically are. I also realize I'm wearing a jacket that's a little bit scratchy sounding. So hopefully the mic doesn't pick it up. So anyways, Currently recording this today is 35 weeks. I'm going to be sharing what I have been doing, what I'm doing now, and what I'll be starting coming in the next coming weeks. Um, What we're specifically doing for that's different for my home birth setting. Um, And what are some things that I think we're doing that are likely specific because of my midwife, who I can't wait to have on as a guest. Stay tuned for that. It's coming soon. Um, That I highly recommend everyone does, even though this is probably very unique to my midwife. Um, Some things that we've been doing to prep, and I just really think 
all women and their partners or all birthing people and their partners would really benefit. So what have I been doing until now to prepare, prepare for birth? I really want to speak to how much of birth prep is mental. And while definitely, you know, some of the work that I'm doing is very physical, very tangible. I'll be talking about certain, you know, food supplements, um, herbs that I'm using different, uh, like, you know, activities and practices I'm practicing that are very physical. I am going to be speaking a lot to the mental preparation that I have been doing for this birth. And so things that I've been doing up until now over the past 35 weeks, the first one is a lot of visualization. And I've really been doing this honestly, since before I ever got pregnant, but really, you know, since day one. And I do think that it is important to do in some component every day. It's a form of manifestation. And by doing some of that visualization daily, that birth outcome that I deeply desire, that birthing process will feel more familiar in the moment and will make the birth, in my opinion, an easier experience. So a few different practices that I've been doing as part of this visualization is journaling. So I've been future date journaling. What does that look like? I will write a journal entry dated June 4th. 2023 and will write it like I'm writing my birth story. You know, two days ago on this night, I went into labor. This is what I felt. This is what I did. This is when I called my midwives. This is when they came over, you know, like having, telling the story of what I visualize my birth looking like as a past event, doing it um, from a future date. And that's something that I've been, that I did once and like, I'll read over at that, um, journal and entry pretty regularly. The second thing is just truly visioning, visioning what it'll look like, what it's going to feel like, what kind of support I'm going to be having. Who's going to be giving me hip presses. Am I going to be in the tub? Am I going to be on the bed? Am I going to be walking around how I'm going to sleep in early labor? Just really visioning what I believe it will look like and feel like. And I'll do that in different capacities. If I'm taking a bath, I'll do it while I'm in the bath. Sometimes I'll, if I'm reading before bed, I'll turn off my Kindle or, you know, close my book a little bit before I typically would. And like, I'll just lay there and kind of in my brain vision, what I expect a certain aspect of my journal or of my birth to look like. Um, I'll do it while I'm in the car. I'll do it, you know, well, really whenever, but doesn't have to be like a sitting for 30 minutes and meditating and visioning for a long period of time. Even just these couple minute pockets while I'm at the waiting room at the chiropractor, just like sitting and being like, okay, like what is the vision for watching my baby come out of my body and like really just visualizing it and sitting in that vision. Another uh, practice that I've been doing as part of that like element has been mantras. And these are mantras that I'll say to myself that I'll write that I will share with my partner, that my partner will bring, like I'll bring my husband into them. One of them that I have been doing since I would say I read when I read my midwife's book that I highly recommend wisdom from the womb, very similar to my podcast name. Um, that's part of how I knew she was the right midwife for me. Um, but so she, in her book, and also I think in Ina May's book, they talk about just like, you know, how your vagina will stretch. And this mantra that I have come up with and that my husband and I will play with all the time is I have a huge vagina. And so I will just like lay in the bathtub and be like, I have a huge vagina. I have a massive vagina. 
And, you know, it's almost become like comical to me and my husband, like, we'll just go back and forth. I'll be like, I have a huge vagina. And he'll be like, it is cavernous. You have the most big vagina that ever lived. Like, and we'll just go back and forth around my huge vagina and just being like, yeah, I am getting in the mantra of, I have a big vagina and my vagina is made to stretch. And like, I'm not going to have any issue birthing this baby out of my huge vagina. And so I share this to offer that the mantras can be silly. They can be playful. Um, Another one that I've been playing with a lot recently that I really love is that I am a strong woman. I am a good mother and my baby and I make a great team. You know, there, my body is built for birth and just so really like, there are so many mantras available on the internet. There are some inside my fertility freedom Academy program. There are so many that you can find from listening to birth podcasts. Um, I actually did an Instagram post recently where I shared some of the ones I'm working with and other people commented some really beautiful really beautiful mantras that you can adopt. Writing them down is something that I do in my journal and, um, will, I will be writing them down on larger pieces of paper, or maybe even buy some decorative ones to hang up in my birth space. So I think mantras are incredibly effective. And, you know, the more we say things out loud, the more we believe them. Um, another thing that I've just been doing is like talking with my husband about birth all the time, talking about like, what do we think is going to happen at this time? Or like, can we practice what we're going to do when we find out I'm in labor and just like really almost like a child would play make-believe just like talking about it, make-believing really like it's, it's a, I mean, he's honestly probably pretty annoyed with me at this point, but I mean, it's just such an, uh, a topic that we talk about every day because it is this huge life event. And especially as we get closer to it, I just want to talk about birth and I want it to become something that's just really a part of my my conscious and his conscious so that we can feel really prepared going into this experience. Hypnobirthing meditations are also something that I've been doing. I typically fall asleep every single time I do the hypnobirthing meditation. So sometimes I'll listen to them before bed. Occasionally I'll try and listen to them outside of that. And then I'll end up falling asleep and taking a nap, but I'm still getting it through osmosis. um, And they're really, really beneficial and awesome. So I highly recommend the hypnobirthing meditations. So that really kind of falls into all of the like visualization manifestation practices that I've been doing. But another thing that I've been doing that is definitely still mental preparation, emotional mental preparation is exploring my fears. And, you know, something that my midwife really encouraged me at, um, at one of our prenatal visits, probably when I was like around 20 or so weeks was to not push away the fears and explore the dark side, allow them to come up, you know, um, so often in our society, we like, don't want to think about the bad things. We're just like, I'm going to push that to the back of my mind and I'm not going to think about it. And that actually isn't serving us. Right. And so something that's been really helpful for me with this process is like kind of thinking through, okay, like when I have a fear come up, let me work through what is that worst case scenario? Like, let me work through like, okay, well, if that's something I'm scared of, what if that happens? And when I address that fear, when I talk about it with my midwife, when I talk about it with my doula, when I talk about it with my husband, when I journal about it, when I like really face it, when I'm just like thinking about it and I'm like, okay, well, that could be something that would be super devastating and and upsetting and scary. And this is likely what would happen. And like, I would be okay. Right. Or maybe I wouldn't be okay, but like, at least I can deal with the fear and not just push it away because it makes it less scary. Um, and I really think that 
that is so important going into birth. I do believe that birth is scary if you don't understand it. And so I'll be speaking a a lot to in a little bit, you know, ways that I went to address like really understanding birth on a deep level, um, because that makes you less afraid of it. But if you were afraid of something, just like explore those fears. So exploring the fears and just like thinking through the worst case scenario, talking about them with my partner, um, has been really helpful, you know, and also my midwife, I'm so grateful. You know, I have 50 minute and then they usually run a little bit over, appointments with her and it's time for us to really get into it. She holds space for me when I want to cry about something, helps me talk through things and be rational. You know, it's like really that support is so critical. And so I would encourage you if you're finding that you have fears around birth and you don't have that space to work through with your primary care provider, you know, your, your midwife or your obstetrician, like, you know, and maybe get a doula so that you can talk through those things with, you know, maybe it's it's something you can do exclusively with your partner, but really talking through them with someone who knows about birth, I do believe is really helpful. I'm so grateful that I have that space to talk through my fears with her. Another practice that I have been doing once I've already explored those fears is sometimes when the fear comes up is saying, thank you for reminding me what I don't want. And I choose again. And then I choose again to believe, you know, the, the more likely outcome, right. And to like really sit with that and to sit and practice visualizing that as well. And that's been really a helpful tool for helping me work through fears that I've had around pregnancy, around birth, generally speaking. So another thing that I've just been doing a lot of since really, um, you know, early on in pregnancy, I'd say a few weeks in is refreshing on podcasts and books. So rereading books that I've loved. I had historically read Ina May's guide to pregnancy. If you were listening to this and you are not pregnant yet, I highly recommend you go and you read some of these books and you start listening to these podcasts ahead of time, because it is so helpful to have a baseline for when, before you get pregnant and then you don't feel rushed. If you are currently pregnant, no matter at what point you're in, this is still good advice. Um, so, you know, definitely rereading books that I loved Ina May's guide to to childbirth. Um, I read wisdom from the womb, which is my midwife, Geneva Montano's book, the motherly art of breastfeeding, which is a La Leche book that has been really helpful for me and just preparing for what feels like honestly, one of the most unknown parts of the journey for me is breastfeeding and listening to podcasts. So some of my favorite podcasts for birth are the happy home birth podcast and whether or not you desire to have a home birth. I do really love it just because I think it talks about so many varieties of birth experiences. You know, there will occasionally be people who transfer to the hospital. A lot of the women had had previous births at a birth center or a hospital. So you really just learn about a variety of birth experiences, but I just really love the formatting. And I think it's a really great podcast. Um, additionally, the birth hour for more birth stories. Again, there's such a variety of birth stories there that has been really helpful for me and potentially preparing for an outcome that I wasn't expecting. Whereas, um, and been like, you know, triggering for me in some ways and helpful for me and, you know, exploring my fears. And then there are also podcasts on there that are definitely inspiring and really support me and, you know, having the like visualizing and understanding and listening to positive experiences, um, overall. So that's been really, really awesome. And then the last podcast that I really loved during this pregnancy is the Home Birth Midwives podcast. This is put on by the Hearth and Home Midwives. They are based out of 
I want to say like Portland, Oregon, like somewhere in the Northwest. And they have like really short and sweet educational podcasts, whereas the other two are more birth stories. I do really think listening to positive birth stories um, and just a variety of different kinds of birth stories is really helpful preparation for birth. But the Homebirth Midwives podcast is really great because they will talk in, about like specific either procedures or complications or like, you know, how to not be constipated in pregnancy. Like they're just awesome. And they have these really short and sweet, really educational, um, episodes that I just absolutely loved. And so huge shout out to them. Another thing that I've been really focused on, uh, really since the beginning of pregnancy was working out and eating well. And I know that sounds really basic, uh, but it really does go a long way to help prepare for birth, especially working out. I mean, and eating well, cause it limits, you know, the risk of complications. It will help with stretching of the perineum and of the vaginal tissues, if you have adequate, adequate collagen, um, but working out, especially so lots of walking, weightlifting, lots of squats, doing prenatal and normal yoga. Um, and I was doing some Pilates. I wasn't loving that as much. So I really have kind of stuck to the walking, weightlifting, lots of squats, prenatal and normal yoga. And by practicing doing hard things, I'm preparing for birth, you know, so much of so many of the positive birth stories that I've heard. And even one that I heard inside my midwives, uh, childbirthing class where she brought in recent clients who given birth. One of them was, you know, an athlete. And she, my midwife said, you know, I think one of the reasons her birth was so successful is because she was an athlete and she like trained for birth. Like she would train for an event. And when we do hard things, when our bod with our body, and we're practiced in doing hard things with our body, we're much more likely able to show up for a challenging experience. And a first time mom, you know, the average birth for a first time mom is 24 hours. That means some first time moms have 48 hour labors and births. Some first time moms have 72 hour labors and births. And, you know, that is something that I'm mentally preparing for doing that mental preparation by learning that and doing the mental preparation to feel strong in it, but also doing the physical preparation of like, I can do hard things and I'm going to practice doing hard things with my body by showing up for exercise and pushing my body and, and, and doing that in a way that is going to support me in this experience. Um, additionally, just keeping my body fit will not only help me have the stamina that I need for birth, but well, you know, birthing is hard work and like being in some of those positions, like squats and things like that can be challenging. And so by keeping my body fit, especially as I've started to put on a lot more weight has just, you know, will only serve me in the birth experience. Some other things that I've personally been doing since day one of pregnancy is pelvic floor physical therapy. Now this was because I historically have pelvic floor dysfunction issues. Um, and I actually have a podcast that will be coming out more about that in the coming weeks. So stay tuned if you're curious about that, but I do believe that every woman should go and get an assessment during their pregnancy, see what their baseline is. If they haven't done it already, a baseline is actually going to even be better before you find out you're pregnant, but you know, getting that baseline, understanding like what the situation of the pelvic floor is, and then get some tools to help prepare for pregnancy, birth, and then postpartum with the pelvic floor. But pelvic floor physical therapy has really helping me 
with my tight pelvic floor so that my pelvic floor will be able to loosen and relax during birth, which is exactly what we want. Hopefully that work will go a long way to helping my baby with positioning, which I'll talk about as my next thing. Um, but yeah, pelvic floor physical therapy has been something I've been doing since day one. I don't know if every single woman needs to do it from day one, but I do think everyone woman would benefit from having pelvic floor physical therapy at least a couple times during their pregnancy. The next piece that I've been doing is really focusing on position. I've been really paying attention to this since about 28 weeks of pregnancy, maybe a little bit sooner than that. Um, but really think paying attention to not lounging and being conscious about the way that my body is positioned so that baby will be positioned properly. So for example, if my belly button was a flashlight, wanting that light to be always pointing forward or down. Um, and so this looks like, you know, when I'm watching TV, not laying back on the couch or, you know, um, when I'm in the car, not reclining, you know, doing things like you know, when I'm working, I sit on an exercise ball instead of my, in my office chair, which like naturally leans me back a little bit and just really being conscious of that position. This helps the baby not be posterior and posterior, you know, babies tend to require longer, more challenging labors with more contractions, uh, more risk of things like shoulder dystocia because the baby is not optimally positioned to go into the birth canal when they are posterior, which means facing forward. Um, you want a baby, you know, head down facing backwards with his back to your stomach and facing your back, um, like with his eyes. So, um, posterior births are much more common these days. And it's, you know, believed to be because of our lives being a lot more sedentary with the way that we relax on couches, uh, you know, doing less like outdoor kind of labor, things like that, less activity, generally speaking. So, you know, having belly facing down or forward is really important. So some things that I've been doing is like when I watch TV, I either lay on my side or I'm sitting on the floor and like leaning forward, or I'll keep a couple pillows propped up behind me to make sure that I'm sitting at that 90 degree angle. If I'm sitting up, um, in the car, I am using a wedge pillow to tilt my body forward. And then I also keep my chair ridiculously high up. <laughs> um, so that is something that's been really effective for me high up in terms of like the angle. So it's like definitely at a 90 degree angle, there's no leaning back. And I also have that wedge pillow helping me, uh, lean forward. I use, like I mentioned, an exercise ball when I'm working to sit for work calls or right now, like when I'm recording a podcast, I also, um, was loaned a cozy bump pillow from my midwife, which is essentially, it looks like a blow up stand up paddleboard, but it has a huge hole in the middle for my belly. And then a, another like little hole for my breasts. And honestly, that has just been such a game changer in the past two weeks. And she gave it to me, um, to lay in and just recline in and read and relax because sometimes it can just be a lot of pressure to always on my hips to be always laying on my side if I want to be laying down. So having that option to lay on my stomach safely is awesome. Um, the other activities you can do to help with positioning is swimming, right? Because like just taking a kickboard and going for it or, you know, doing, um, 
you know, any kind of swimming really, except for backstroke where you're laying forward is really great for positioning, but just being mindful about that, you know, so many, it's like so easy to want to lay back and like kick my feet up um, or lay on my back just because it would be comfortable. But really I'm being super conscious about positioning because I know how having a baby in optimal position just sets you up for such an easier labor. And also for an easier time before going into labor, a lot of times you'll hear about women having prodromal labor, which is basically false labor for weeks leading up to actual labor, because the body is trying to turn the baby into the right position. So the more you can do, the better. I've been mindful about it since 28 weeks, not because it matters that early, because it doesn't matter that early, just because it's hard to change your habits. Um, and so, you know, I didn't want to, to like have to start changing it immediately. Like it was a little bit of a slower process, although I did take it pretty seriously, pretty early on. So maybe I didn't need to start it so early, but yeah, since about like 27, 28 weeks, I've been really um, conscious about it. Um, and the reason I don't know if I shared this before, the reason why laying back is problematic and creates a posterior baby is because other than the head, the back is the heaviest part of the baby. And so they're just following gravity. And so if you're constantly leaning backwards, their body is going to tilt that way, as opposed to if you're leaning forward or if you're straight up, they're more likely to tilt the other way because their back is heavier. Another thing that I've been doing a lot of um, since pretty much day one is talking to my baby. And, you know, I think that it just has helped create a really beautiful connection. And I'm just so excited to meet this little guy. And I feel like I already know him. And just by talking to him, I know that during birth, he and I will already have established this connection over the past nine plus months. And, you know, I can talk to him and say like, how are you doing? Are you okay? And like, get that feedback. And just by talking to my baby, I know that that's going to be really beneficial to have already established that relationship during birth when, you know, it's something that we're working on together, right? One of my mantras, my baby and I make a great team. Like he as is as much part of this birthing process as I am. Like we, this is something we are doing together and I want to have those lines of communication open during that experience so that we can figure out like how to work together effectively during his birth. Another thing I did is I took my midwife's childbirthing class. She was offering a specific, you know, home birth uh, class, which I really appreciated. I also have a birth doula certification. So like that was like the best childbirth class I ever did. Although I did it, you know, in 2017, maybe 2018, 2017, I think 2017. So it was many years ago. Um, and so I definitely needed a refresher, but had I, you know, not had done that, I honestly probably would have done another childbirth class as well. Hers was awesome. It was like one day, but maybe like, um, an online course or something as well. I do believe that taking a childbirth class is so critical. And unfortunately the majority of the ones that are like provided by the hospital are really just teaching you how to be a good patient. They're not that great. So there are some awesome ones online. Um, that I've seen, I know happy home birth has a really great childbirth class. Um, pain-free birth has a really great childbirth class. I believe, um, 
the birth hour maybe has one called know your options that I've heard some pretty good things about depending on what kind of birth experience you want. There's always a childbirth class that you can find finding ones in a, uh, area that's close to you, like in doing them locally, I think can be an amazing way to meet people, to practice birth positions. So highly recommend doing that as well. If you don't want to do one online, I really loved doing the one in person with my midwife. You know, it was really nice to be able to get to meet other women who were, you know, having similar gestation dates close to mine and things like that. So definitely taking a childbirth class is something that everyone should be doing to prepare for birth. I did mine. She, I don't know how often she offers them, but I did mine when I was probably like 24 weeks or something like that, maybe 25 weeks. Um, but you know, you, I would recommend doing it in the second half for sure of your, you know, of your pregnancy so that you don't forget what you learned now. Those are things that, you know, I did several weeks ago or that I've been doing since the beginning. I want to talk, talk about a few things that I've really recently started doing. Um, so in the past few weeks, so I've started eating three dates a day. I think I started that at 32 or 33 weeks. I started eating three dates a day, three medjool dates a day. If you were doing like the deglet nor ones that are a little bit smaller, it's recommended you do six and I'm doing this to ripen my cervix studies show that women who eat dates at that amount, uh, are more likely to go into labor spontaneously, which means without induction naturally, and it will ripen and soften the cervix leading up to birth. So I've been doing three dates a day. I've also been going to the chiropractor weekly before I was going every three or four weeks. And since, uh, 31 weeks, I've been going 31 weeks of pregnancy. I've been going weekly to help again with positioning and alignment for baby. And also as I'm starting to carry more weight at this point, now 35 weeks, I've gained about 30 pounds, um, really wanting to help with positioning, you know, for myself too, like to have less pain, less pain in my hips, less pain or pressure on my pelvis this, but also it really helps with positioning for a baby so that they are going to be in the right position for birth, um, and hopefully have a good traveling experience traveling through my birth canal, but the chiropractor has been really awesome. And, and so I've been going weekly now, and it's something I really recommend most people do, um, during pregnancy. Another thing I've been doing more recently is having one quart of red raspberry leaf tea a day. I make it as an infusion. So I take the loose leaf red raspberry, um, herb, and then I boil water, fill it up in a container, close it, let it soak for anywhere from four hours to overnight, drain it, and then drink a quart of that daily. If I'm doing it overnight and it's a really strong infusion, I will typically water that down a little bit just to taste, you know, but if I do it overnight, it'll typically end up being like half water, half of the tea, but I'm doing about a quart of that daily. Red raspberry leaf tea is known to tone the uterus, strengthen the uterus, and can really help with uh, birth. So I'm really excited to have been doing that. Um, I also was drinking red raspberry leaf tea early in my pregnancy, not to that extent was doing like approximately one or so cups a day. It is, you know, safe to use all throughout pregnancy. It's something I use with my fertility clients to help support fertility. It's something we use to help support implantation. It's really just an amazing tonifier for the uterus. 
Another thing that we've started doing really recently is really prepping for postpartum. So I made a, I've been making a postpartum packet. I may eventually sell this or offer it as like a free download or something, but it, it's go, it includes everything from a letter to guests you know, people who are going to be coming to stay with us, friends and family, people who will be visiting really, you know, outlining like, Hey, we're so happy you're here. These are the things that we're, you know, observing right now. This is how you can be helpful. These are the boundaries that we're setting up. This is like, you know, what we're like, so excited to have you here for really just like a letter to guests. And then also explaining to them how to use this packet. So it has everything from shopping lists in it, um, list of, care providers and when to call them. So for example, my chiropractor, my midwife, my lactation consultant, my postpartum doula, like all of these people, you know, like if the baby is fussy and isn't on the breast, well, we're going to call the lactation consultant and the chiropractor. And here's a cranial facial, cranial sacral therapist in case we need it. And so that's not something that like me as mom, me as woman of the household, as someone who's holding all of that information has to be bothered with. I'm having all of that put in the packet. So it can be very much like, okay, if this thing is happening, we're going to do this. And so someone else can take over that role of reaching out to that practitioner, getting them to come over the house, scheduling an appointment, et cetera. Um, like I said, it also has shopping lists in it. So that's going to be incredibly helpful for like anyone to be able to go to the store and get the foods that we regularly like. This includes, you know, like the gluten-free breads that we like and the brand and how many we buy of them, avocados, the brand of, you know, nut milk that we like, like all of the things so that it's not something that becomes unhelpful if someone goes to the grocery store, but they don't know what we normally buy. They don't know that like getting two avocados is not helpful because we're going to go through that in one day, right? Like, so really just like being as specific as possible with that shopping list and making it something that anyone from my sister to my mom, to a postpartum doula, to someone hired can go and like take that list and not require a lot of questions from us. Right. I specify what we like, how we want everything organic, this, everything. Like I made it really, really specific. Um, additionally, there are plans inside that packet for like the bris plan, right? So like what happens at, you know, 72 hours, who's in charge of what, and this is maybe my type a side coming out, but I just think it's going to be so helpful. And the more I listen to birth stories, the more I talk to people, the postpartum period is really ignored. And this is something that is so important for healing, for bonding, for just you know, they say that the first 40 days after a woman gives birth sets her up for the next 40 years of health. And I just don't want to take any chances. So I'm really like being maybe a little bit type A and OCD about it, but I want to just like put everything in place that I can so that we're successful. Um, and so I have plans inside that, like, so basically someone can come in and like take the bris plan. A bris is a ritual circumcision that Jewish people do that we will be doing. Maybe I'll do a separate podcast about how we came to the conclusion to do circumcision. It was something that I really contended with for a long time. Um, and in the end, we decided that we were going to do it and in the traditional Jewish way. So, but anyways, there's an entire bris plan, everything from like who we're inviting, how to contact the moil, which is the person who will be performing the circumcision, you know, what foods we're going to be getting catered, who needs to contact who, like all of that is there. So no one has to bug me. No one has to ask me about that. And it's just all going to be taken care of. Right. At least that's the plan. <laughs> and I know man plans and God laughs, but we can put ourselves in the position to receive the help. Um, and then addition, additionally, 
I also put about thus far, like 15 pages worth of recipes in there. So, you know, anyone can be helpful. Anyone can take the emotional and mental load off of me, off of my husband, go with a shopping list to the grocery store, come back, be able to cook us a meal that is like, you know, approved. We like it. It's going to be like good for me postpartum. And the recipes are right there. They don't have to be like, well, what do you guys want? Can you send me a recipe? Or I don't know what to make or have my, you know, mom make something that like, doesn't that she doesn't understand the way that we eat properly, things like that. Right. Like just really making it turnkey for anyone to be able to come in and help us. Another thing, speaking of the food that we did is we ended up actually hiring a chef to come postpartum. We booked them for, I think about six sessions to start, um, that we can use at any time, you know, over our postpartum period, which could be, you know, four months, et cetera. Um, and th- what this is going to look like is they are going to come to our home. They'll menu plan ahead of time with us, you know, send us a menu. We'll tell them if we want specific things or they can come up with the menu. We can go back and forth with them if they need to. This is something that I actually, they do through an app. And I had my husband set up the app on his phone. So he'll be taking care of that. And they'll come and they'll prepare three meals of eight servings each. Um, and then keep them in our refrigerator for us to be able to reheat throughout the week. And this will just take a lot of stress off of our situation. Food is something that I, as you probably know, if you were a longtime listener to this podcast, believe is like the most important thing when it comes to healing and food is medicine. And the way that we eat is very particular in terms of how we nourish ourselves. And so, um, when I was in early pregnancy, my first trimester, it was uh, the biggest challenge was how my nausea was impacting the way that I couldn't cook. And then my husband had to be responsible for most of our meals. And he's a great, you know, he can cook anything, but menu planning and being responsible for all the cooking is really challenging for him. And we knew that for us to enjoy our cocoon of that first month postpartum, where he's not going to be working and I'm not going to be working being stressed out about the food was not something that we wanted to deal with. And so, while we're definitely hopeful that our family who is going to be coming to stay with us and help, will be able to use that postpartum packet to go grocery shopping and to make, um, to make, us meals. We also didn't want to hundred percent rely on that. And so we do have this chef option as a backup that we can use at any time that they'll just come and make us some really supportive food. So that's something that we are definitely prioritizing. I definitely think thinking about like what kind of care is going to be important for you postpartum is something that everyone needs to do during pregnancy. You know, people spend so much time, like making the nursery cute and like, you know, planning their baby shower and not that that those things aren't special, but if you'll notice, like, that's not what I'm talking about when it comes to preparing for birth or preparing for becoming a mother. And I think that we overemphasize those aspects and underemphasize the aspects that are like truly critical for care for the new mom and the new baby, like figuring out your meal train is so much more important than figuring out your baby shower. Um, you know, half the time babies don't even sleep in their nursery for six months. Like we're not decorating a nursery at all. We literally have no nursery. (laughs) I mean, we have like a room that we're like storing his stuff in, but he's going to sleep in our room and he's going to sleep in our bed. And like, we don't, I don't, I'm not spending this time that I like have all of these things I'm preparing for doing that right now. Not that you shouldn't or can't do that if that feels exciting to you, but like, he's not even going to use that 
you know, a space like that for like a minimum of six months, maybe longer. And so I'm really more focused on like, what is going to set us up for a healthy healing, healthy bonding, healthy, just early time. And I think people don't put enough perspective or thought into that. And so really coming up with your plan postpartum, you know, maybe it's cleaning support that you guys need extra help with or whatever it is, just like really thinking about that and having some conversations with your partner, figuring out what your budget is for support and then lining up that support. Um, starting next week. So at 36 weeks, I'm going to start doing vitamin K one drops. This is going to help with post-birth bleeding. Hopefully, you know, vitamin K one is a coagulant coagulant. Um, so basically it helps with clotting. And so that will, you know, help prevent hopefully any postpartum bleeding, any hemorrhaging, things like that. So I'll be doing vitamin K one drop starting at 36 weeks. Um, additionally, I'll be adding some extra iron sources. I have been as part of my eating well, um, eating a lot of liver, a lot of red meat, a lot of those really rich iron sources, but I'm going to be boosting that with a little bit of supplemental iron using Floridix, which is a plant-based iron actually, uh, just to do some blood building and some extra iron support before birth, recognizing that I will be losing blood. And also at 36 weeks, I'm going to be doing some spinning babies positionings. So you can look up on the spinning babies website. There are some things you can do to help baby get in the right position. Again, I'm being a position freak, <laughs> but I will be starting to do some spinning babies positioning moves um, starting next week. Another thing that I've been doing is getting our home more ready for our home birth. And so this is where I'm going to be speaking to a little bit of like, what is unique and specific, um, to our home birth. But then I'm also going to say some things that my midwife, which as a home birth midwife, I think she is just more conscious about these things, um, and had us do that are like so beautiful that I believe would be beneficial for everyone. But this next little bit is just going to be about some things that we are doing specifically to get ready for home birth. And so if you've ever been kind of curious about like, well, what materials do you need? Or like, what is a home birth? actually look like the next couple of minutes might be interesting to you. Okay. Just took a sip of water because hydrating well is also something that I have been doing for getting ready for birth <laughs> or slash is just good for pregnancy. So um, in getting ready for this home birth, we have a list of materials that we have to have in our home that our midwife, you know, requires us to have in our home by the time that she does a home visit, which is at 36 weeks. Home birth really requires you to take a lot more responsibility for your birth, which I personally love because I think it just makes you so much more conscious and aware and just like prepared for the experience. Um, and so we've been really busy collecting materials, which includes a painter's cloth, like a plastic painter's cloth, fish, a fishnet, so many towels, a robe, a pool liner, a garden hose faucet fittings, two flat sheets, two fitted sheets, extra pillowcases, two plastic shower curtain liners, 20 under pads that are found in the incontinent section, uh, olive, a small bottle of olive oil, two metal bowls, soft paper towel, six washcloths, a crock pot, flashlight, two garbage bags, baby clothes, um, those are actually a little bit more for the hospital bag, but because we would obviously have baby clothes at home, <clears throat> excuse me, one large pack of sanitary pads, a digital thermometer, 
a stethoscope, two one-gallon Ziploc bags, hydrogen peroxide, rubbing alcohol, a car seat installed in the car, a birthing tincture, some rescue remedy, receiving blankets, and a hospital plan and a hospital bag packed just in case of a transfer. So lots of really interesting things. I'm not going to go into all of them specifically, but you know, the painter's cloth is to help us, um, to put underneath the birth tub that we're going to hopefully be using. The fishnet is to scoop poop out of the birth tub because inevitably everyone poops, um, in birth and to be able to deal with that really easily. Hopefully someone will scoop out my poop before I even notice it. You know, the garden hose, the faucet fittings, all of that is also to aid in the water birth. So you wouldn't have to do that if you weren't hoping to spend time in the water during a birth experience. The sheets and the plastic shower curtain liners are to set up on the bed so that we don't have, you know, like a wet, bloody, meconium-y, whatever bed, um, really just to help be able to prepare that. Um, olive oil is for, you know, to do on the perineum to help with the movement there's just so much. It's like, it gets you thinking, it makes you ask questions and I just love it. And so we've been spending a lot of time collecting those materials, you know, thinking about again, what is this going to look like postpartum? What kind of birth do I want to have? It's just really helpful for the preparation, you know, nothing wrong with just showing up at a birth center or a hospital and having all of that there for you. Like in some ways that's really beautiful too, to just not have to think about it, but I really have loved being, you know, responsible for like this experience and having to take a lot more responsibility for that and prepare in that way. It's just been really helpful in preparing me for birth. Um, you know, yeah, it's just like, and I think for my partner too, like being part of that process, it's just like gotten him thinking and in the right mindset. Um, which has been really helpful. And additionally, we also recently had a meeting with our doula to talk through different roles, of like, you know, how she's going to play a role, my, what role is my husband going to play, what we want from her, how she can help Danny help me more. Um, some other things that we had to do, not because we're having a home birth, but I would be really surprised if these, if non-home birth midwives or doctors had you, had you do this was answer a bunch of questions in a questionnaire for our midwife that was due before 36 weeks. And these questions included, what are, and, but we're not limited to, there were so many more, but, um, included, what are your normal coping techniques when experiencing discomfort? How do you envision your baby's first six minutes of life? I loved that one so much. What does it mean for you to have a sacred birth? How can each team member help you achieve this goal? What does a sacred birth look like to you? What do you think of when you hear the word childbirth? Describe the immediate scene that plays in your mind. Do you have the emotional and physical support that you need? And so many others. And answering these questions has been so helpful in my preparation for birth. Like, wow, how could the experience of women and of women worldwide be changed if more women and their partners were prompted to think about these things and discuss them between themselves and with their care providers before the experience of giving birth. And then to actually have those care providers be the ones that were holding their vision for their birth experience, like to have a conscious desire. Like if these care providers understood what the people they were supporting sacred birth looked like, and then had the conscious desire to support that sacred birth, we'd likely have so many more positive birth experiences. 
In the U.S., approximately one in three mothers report serious physical and emotional birth-related trauma. One in three report serious physical and emotional birth-related trauma. And there are obviously several reasons for this. And I think that the conventional approach to birth in this country perpetuates that cycle. And I have, you know, I've never put more into starting even before I conceived, I've never put more into something in terms of an experience that I will do. I've never put more of my time and energy and resources into it. And no matter what happens, I'm so grateful that I was encouraged to prepare for birth in this way and was educated enough to know to prepare in this way. And I'm so grateful that I have care providers that are, you know, prompting me with questions to think about that and like that are holding the the emotional and the physical. And I just, I really hope that you took away some tangible tools and tips from this episode, but most of all, I really just want you to know that getting prepared mentally, emotionally, physically, and spiritually for this portal, for this rite of passage, for this huge life event is so critical for the way in which you're going to bring your baby into the world and their first experiences in the world. It's so critical for how you will come to look back on this experience for the way that it'll inform future experiences for you, the way that you'll feel about motherhood and, you know, taking responsibility for being able to support and influence your birth birth outcomes is so necessary in today's day and age. And so between doing the things to physically support a more uh, physiological labor and birth and to do the mental work, to be able to feel prepared, to get the care providers on board. I mean, there's just so much. And so no matter what you took away from this podcast today, I just really hope that it inspires you and will help you create a birth experience that you deeply feel is sacred to you. Um, I'd love to hear, you know, what you're taking away, what experiences, like what you learned or what experiences you're, you know, incited to incorporate into your practice. Maybe some of those questions talking about with your partner and your care providers, whatever it is. So please reach out to me on Instagram. Uh, my, sh- uh, my handle is in the show notes. Um, you can always send me a message. Of course, depending on when you listen to this, I might be in baby land and it might take me a little bit longer to get back to you, but I still want to hear about it. If you know anyone who is pregnant, please share this episode with them. This is how we change the world of women's health by getting educated, sharing with each other. So please share this episode. If you share it on social media, tag me. Um, And yeah, just thank you for listening. I hope this podcast inspires you. And to my birthing people, my want to be birthing people, doing this work is, is part of the spiritual work of our time. So thanks for being present here with me today and love you podcast fam.